I want my statement for people to know what really happened in this country. Because I plan to host Olympics myself. The Olympic community don't care about human rights. They don't allow visitors to come with phones, cameras, because they are scared of images. If I can figure out how to film, would you be willing to share your story publicly? My idea is for you to read your statement as if you're speaking to the audience. Okay. Japan does not accept refugees. They just give you the forms to feel what is the life. Give it to one eye. And still, you know, just two years here, a lot of people, four or five years. What are you home dying? え、there's so much more that I want to talk to you about. I'm just, I'm, I'm afraid that maybe they listen to these phone calls. Yes, yes, sometimes they, they, they listen. And I trust that situation is for massive hunger strike. So to the end, Corona TV became a very hot in the show. But as a team, I'm just going to take a look at this show. I'm just going what you just heard is the trailer for a documentary about the Ushiku Immigration Center near Tokyo that mainly holds people seeking refuge in Japan. Using a hidden camera, award-winning filmmaker Thomas Ash interviewed inmates there from the late 2019. In that documentary, he portrays the lack of refugee policy in Japan, how the media is unwilling to talk about it, and the same can be said about worldwide organizations like United Nations, and concludes that this is Japan's biggest human rights violation. In the documentary, Luis Christian, a Cameroonian who ran to Japan for refuge status was featured heavily and his story is one of the most heartbreaking one. The Japanese immigration department not only coerced his wife into divorcing him but also to abort his second child and alienate him from his first child. In this podcast, we talk to him about all that and more. 
I'm also joined by Enrique Gutierrez, the founder of Fine Apparent in this episode. Now without further ado, let's get into the episode. As I was watching the press conference that you did with the folks over at the Foreign Correspondents Club of Japan or FCCJ, you mentioned that things back at Cameron was unstable and that is why you ran to Japan as a refugee. Can you explain what did you mean by unstable and what exactly was happening at Cameron during that time? Uh, my father in Central Africa, the person that adopted me that they was involved in some like coup d'etat or some political problem in, in Cameroon. That way they run and they, 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 they found uh, exile in Central Africa. Then they leave me there and, and with the rest of the family and they went to, to, to Europe. So um, in Central Africa, uh, I grew up there. I went to school there. And, and uh, I play football in the league. Uh, even I was selected uh, a few times in the national team. But in Central Africa in 1995, from 1995 to 1996, the military started like a, a rebellion. And that was, from, from the beginning, my family was not uh, like really involved. Maybe there was like, was not officially there because they said there was, the military was asking their salary. Then after a few months, turning become a crap, a crap uh, uh, problem. So when it became a crap problem, my, my family was directly uh, implicated. In '97, because of four of my brother was in the military school uh, in Central Africa, uh, and military school, so they was also involved in some like battle uh, fighting the government. And in 1997, they were killed by the government force and Chad, Chad, uh, Chad army that come to support the government. So I have to run. That 97 also, I have to run to Congo, but that was only for a short period. But when I say there was no stability, because even school, you cannot go to school when they are fighting war, you know? If you go to school, suddenly they start in fight. You have to run away from school and hide somewhere. Sometimes uh, uh, the military will arrest some people. They will kill some people. Some people, they will force them to to, to fight with them. Some other is rebellion. The rebel that will arrest them. You know, it was like that. Even when we are, we are going to train, we are playing football, they start in war. Because that time, all the war was only in the capital. It's not like some other country that the rebellion will start in the sometime in the border, then they will take city by city, city before they reach the capital. But in, in Central Africa, there everything just start in the capital. So the battle was in the capital. So people living in the capital will have really hard time. So suddenly they will say, okay, they stop. They are doing peace for just for few like few months. 
that we can go to school, we can move around, but suddenly without we don't know anything, they start to fight each other. So you know, we, sometimes you are caught in the middle of the battle. That was from ninety five, ninety six until I, I leave. So sometimes in one year you can go to school only uh, uh, maybe three months or four months. So sometimes you don't do it, you know, a, a lot of tests to go to the uh, next class. So, so if you ask me actually, can you write which year, which year, which year you go to this school, this school, this school, it's, it's not possible for me. I see. And I understand what happened. That is truly a horrible situation to live in. With that said, I'm sure choosing to run away from a country is not a simple task. Can you explain how the decision came about? Who suggested it and what did you guys do to prepare and then run to Japan? Okay. The problem is that when uh, in 2001, when there was a coup d'etat and uh, two of my brother was a... Someone was like lieutenant. Lieutenant is a, a big rank in the army. Two of them was involved in the coup d'état. Uh, uh, they, they have attacked the president uh, residency in the midnight with uh, some militian, and they have killed a general. A general uh, who tried to go and rescue the president, and they have. Wait, let me get this right. So this is your own brother, which means somebody was born with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My brother in Central Africa. Yeah, that means that your whole family might be the enemy of people who are ruling the country, right? You guys are like getting assassinated or like people are looking for you guys. Am I right? And what made the situation I was living even more hard than in the Congo because uh, uh, there is uh, one Congolese group, like the, at that time they call Banyamulenge, uh, that the president of Central Africa asked for support because no country uh, want to support him to fight a uh, rebellion. So he asked uh, uh, people, uh, a rebellion in Congo, rebellion group in Congo to support him. So those rebellion went to Central Africa and they killed a lot of people, uh, a lot of people in Central Africa. And even the case, the case of this went to the international court, in, in international court. So the Central Africa citizen also uh, get angry and uh, starting a retaliate, killing Congolese people in Central Africa. So, and uh, other side of the Congo also, where you was, the Congolese people also get angry and it's starting also attacking uh, us there. So, you know, Congo is a country, is a big country and they have many uh, factions, factions. So, as a Central African person, if you want to live in peace, you have to join one group. Yeah, you have to, you have, you have to. To choose a site, and me, I, I was just a normal person, a footballer, you know, want to uh, play football. Then I, I don't want to join those, like take gun, go and kill people. And sometimes to live there, you know, it's, it was very, very difficult. Sometimes they will come and pick us. We have to go and dig some wall to bury people to, to do kind of those kind of things, like you know. So I uh, this. I, find, I say I decided that I, I want to leave, go to a different place, but I cannot go to back to Central Africa. I cannot go even to, to because Congo is a big country. The place we was there, if you want to go, like let's say I want to go to Kinshasa, I have to travel like two thousand to one thousand five hundred kilometers, and I have to cross many, 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 many. Uh, Congo is a very big country, 
Yeah, so it was difficult, difficult for, for 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 us to move around. So so we decided that we want to. Uh, uh, I have to to, to to leave the place because some other people was leaving. Or those one who have uh, 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 like way to to take boat, go to Congo Brazzaville, you know. But in Central Africa, uh, uh, like all, all other part of Africa, your name. Only your name or only your face, they can identify you. The way you speak, the which language you speak, they can identify you. So you cannot move freely. So uh, then uh, I have to my, my, my family there my, because I run Congo with my mother. She she's the one that get contact with, with some broker to help me to, to to leave the the country. Any place that I can leave, any place that is is okay for me to. to travel uh, that makes me wonder you know there's a lot of countries around you that you could have ran to but how come you guys ended up running to japan why japan specifically in this case what was so appealing about japan oh, uh, uh, i broke up first my, my 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 brother was have a his friend also in army because he was a soldier he have his, his friend that was also in the army but they was in the government side He was in Gaba's main side, so he, he had one that I contact uh, to make me a uh, passport for me. So they made a passport, a passport for me, and the broker helped me uh, have a visa. Okay, actually, uh, uh, the most easy place to go, like Central Africa, people only travel to, let's say, to, to Cameroon because they have no port. There is no port there, so only Cameroon for business. If you, they want to go abroad, they go only to France. That was in the two countries that we know there that people can travel. So uh, I cannot go to French embassy because there was a is in the middle of the the city and uh, all even near the presidency and so many military base, many police station there and all other embassy there, you know, and government institutions. So protected with heavy military, you know, with machine gun, and they check everybody, everybody before you enter that area. You have everybody get out of the car. You put your ha- your hand up, you know, and they will check your document. If you are from the tribe that fighting the government, they will take you. I, you never come back. So it was very risky to go there. So, and I was living in the, the, the Lakwanga. Lakwanga, that was my, my my town, and just there was one route, one route, and opposite. We have Japanese embassy, and our place was our our town was uh, a rebellion town, controlling by no government force was there. They cannot come there because it was risky for them. So, and for me, it was easy to cross back the river because the capital of Central Africa is Bangui, but Bangui was the opposite side. There is a river. That other side of the river, you can see Congo, the town. So. So many people, when there is a war, we have to run to Congo. When it become uh, uh, normal, we cross back, and we, then if this war starts, some people run like that. So that's why I cross, and I have to, the most easy and safe embassy for me was Japan embassy. So that's why the, we decided to choose Japan. Right, and you know you had a broker, right? Did the broker give you any pre-warning or anything about how Japan treat their refugees and so on? 
Uh, he did not say anything to me. It's about Japan, like, uh, you know, just, okay, you go there. And, and for me, I want to, to leave. I want to leave the country and uh, to be uh, safe because otherwise I have to uh, join the army or go back to Canada. They're going to kill me. Since my family also uh, are accusing, have been accusing of killing a general. So uh, I cannot live anymore in Central Africa. So, but if I be in Congo also, it's dangerous for me because I have to join uh, uh, any rebel group. You know, you cannot just leave. I have to join any rebel group. So, yep, it definitely seems like you did not have any other option. You needed to get out of the country as soon as possible to avoid getting killed. Now, let's get into how you exactly got out of Cameroon and came into Japan. First, when I get my visa, you know, uh, I have to take a plane. And from Congo to go to the, the, the capital, Kinshasa, it's difficult because, like I say, many factions, many rebels. So I cannot go there and it's, it's very far. And in Central Africa, the most near airport was Central Africa, uh, Bangui Airport, Poco Airport. I cannot go there because it's dangerous for me too. So the, the only one option was Cameroon Airport. Cameroon Airport. So I crossed all Central Africa all Central Africa, because I cannot take a, a car. If I, I take a car, you have checkpoint, checkpoint, checkpoint everywhere. So uh, and the, the military will check. If they see you are from the Yakuma tribe, they will grab you and kill you. Yeah, yeah. So nobody travel by car. So I walk, I walk uh, until the border of Cameroon, from Bangui, let's say from Congo, I have to cross all the Central African Republic to the Cameroonia border, like 45-day walk. Yeah, I was not alone with some people. Sometimes, you know, if we have we find a checkpoint, you know, that far away, have, there is a checkpoint, you have to dive in the jungle, you know. So, yeah, eating fruit like that, you know, stealing in the, in the some people plantation. We cannot go to, because there is some village also supporting the government. So we cannot, Cross those villages, they're going to kill you. So we walk in the jungle until Cameroon border. I understand. Yeah. So when I reached Cameroon border, I was like, okay, maybe I'm already safe here. You know, it's, it's not Central Africa anymore. But when I give my passport, they say, oh, you, you are from Central Africa. You are a rebel. You are running away. So the government is looking for you. You, you know, they, like they need money. They starting ask me a big amount of money, you know, like like if, if I can say that in, in dollar, like $1,000, something like that, because they believe that uh, everybody that run away from Central Africa go there is from the government, you know, opposition or rebels. So I, I say, no, I don't have money. So I try to negotiate with them, but I see that they starting to get angry and they send me back to Central Africa, to the other side of the, uh, the border. So. I have to uh, see a broker there that will allow me to pass. If you take my passport, go and meet, because you know people there, that is his job in the border there. And he put me to the car until Yaounde. Uh, uh, but each, also, there in Cameroon, they have also checkpoint. Because, you know, you're, you're a border with a country in war. So, yeah, so they have also like each 10 kilometer or 20 kilometers, they have checkpoint, checkpoint. And each checkpoint, I have to pay because I'm foreigner. So 
I have to pay, I have to pay, I have to pay, I have the money in my passport, pay, 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 pay. And then uh, I arrived in the capital. Uh, I bought my ticket. Like, then I have to stay like two days in the hotel. When I, I bought my ticket, then I went to the airport, Switzerland airport. When they arrest me in the airport, they say that they need money. Not like, I, I, the last check, checkpoint, like immigration, the last one, before I bought the plane, they took me to one room, started interviewing me, <coughs> like, I'm a fugitive from Central Africa, <coughs> wanted. If I don't want them to, to send me back to the country, I have to give them money. They starting, they asked big amount of money that I did not have money. They keep me there and the plane went. So I missed my plane. Yeah, I missed the plane. I missed the plane. So then uh, they 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 released me. They took they took they took all my money. Everything they just give me my passport and my ticket. So I went back to Switzerland and complained. They say, "Oh, that's your fault. The plane went like forty five minutes. It was not around. So you have to pay the penalty. And since you are a foreigner, don't be in Yaounde because Yaounde is the capital. There is a big problem there for all foreigners." Go to Douala, but you have to pay like hundred dollar for penalty. So with that money, I have to call somebody, a truck driver, because in Central Africa, Cameroon, there is a, a, a some driver, a big thing from Central Africa, Cameroon, Cameroon to Central Africa. So I have to call one that give me hundred dollar. Uh, then when I pay the penalty, then next week I went to Douala. Then I, I come to Japan. I come to Narita Airport and. Like they keep me there also, like for 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 for, for one hour or two hours for because uh, that I didn't know no nobody here. I don't know even the address. When they ask me where are you going, I don't know what what to say because I know nobody. I have no hotel reservation, so I think that they wanted to send me back in the last moment. I said, okay, I'm going to Central Africa Embassy. That was on Saturday. They tried to call the embassy. The embassy the Nobody was speaking the phone. Then they decided to, to, to let me in, in the country. Now that you are in Japan, finally after such a long journey, how was your first day in Japan like? Oh, when I first come, I walk uh, after I applied for for refugee, and like three months later, I start to work in the laundry. Laundry uh, place. I, that was my first job in Japan. Yes, then after that, a friend introduced me in the uh, car business, uh, buy and selling car, buy a used car, buy and selling. And, uh, I have been doing that since. But, uh, that, that, yeah. How did you end up meeting your wife? And before that, did the police or immigration do anything to you before you met your wife? Like... Or only after you got married to a Japanese woman. Uh, before I met my wife, like immigration, immigration, like I said, immigration uh, arrested me in two thousand four because uh, they not, did not accept my application. Then I have been detained uh, for one year and six months, and it's, 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 it's that that time that I really um, uh, inside immigration that I realized that what. Uh, because many people told me, advised me to not apply for refugee, that they were going to oppress me, but they don't not accept any refugee in Japan. That was a mistake I have made. So I was like, 
uh, everything is fine outside. I see everybody happy, nothing. No, it's when I went inside immigration that 2004, 2000, uh, 2006, that I saw uh, the, the real face of Japan, you know. You know, inside immigration is not only, uh, like I say, uh, only uh, people that apply for refugee. You have uh, people that marry Japanese. You have uh, all kind of cases. People coming from uh, a police station that they are having a problem with their wife. You know, and the first shock, the first shock for me was uh, my roommate from Jord- uh, J- uh, Jordan, Jordan guy that having business uh, Shibuya. And that was his visa was remained like uh, uh, one one month one month to finish, so he have a plan for visa. Then his wife uh, complained, called the police about domestic violence. You no, know, so he went to the police and his visa finished. Then they sent him to immigration. You no, know, so the wife would now take his his, his 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 business. He's become overstay. So there are many cases like that. You know, so. Just, just, just to put it in context, I just looked it up. In the last five years, Japan has accepted 216 refugees. In 2020, they accepted 51 refugees. In 2019, 44 refugees total. Here's a kicker, though. Japan ranks among the top donors to the United Nations for re- refugee agencies at about $126 million a year. <laughs> so they'll donate money for refugees, but they will not accept you into their country. Yes, yes. So that's that why also UN cannot, UN cannot make any pressure on them, you know. And it's not, you know, like I said that yesterday, like, you know, some even people like me, you're a refugee and you, you have a family, they will do everything to broke that family. Everything, everything possible to broke that. Like I can say that uh, uh, more than ninety percent of the marriage that foreign uh, refugee people have made with Japanese, they, they broke all. They, they break the marriage, you no. Know? So is that time uh, I saw also my, my roommate from Sri Lanka, a person from Sri Lanka that uh, he was not a refugee. His wife was pretty, they were arresting him in the factory. Okay, he was already married. But his visa was not yet out, and he was having a wife, a pregnant woman. So she come to visit him, and they, they tell the woman, "He don't love you. This, 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 that." And the woman told him, "Okay, they told me I don't love." In the phone, when the woman, the visitation finished, in the phone, uh, he called his wife. The wife said, "Okay, I don't want you anymore." They, they said that you don't love me, and she disappeared with the pregnancy. No, she disappeared. No, any visitation anymore with the pregnancy. The guy stayed uh, two months and no contact. About it. He has to leave the country. And there is a lot of cases like that. A lot of cases where women disappear with the pregnancy. You know, oh, oh, like they will make any pressure, like all kind of pressure to the woman to 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 to, to <coughs> leave the, the, the husband. Even uh, as people like people like me, I was believing that I'm in the safe country. You know. When I'm, I'm seeing those kind of things, it was a big shock for me. Very big shock for me. Louis, I just want to make sure of something. The guys that you mentioned, right, like the one from uh, Jordan and the other one from Sri Lanka, they didn't commit any crime in Japan other than running out of visa. In other words, these are good people who are in Japan doing things that are productive 
and Japan decided to break their families just because they are foreigners. Am I right here? Yes, yes, yes. A lot of so a lot of foreigner. I got a lot of a lot of cases like that. So piggybacking on what Enrique said just now, do you think Japan donates a lot of money to the United Nations to quote unquote bribe UN from investigating the things that are happening? Internally in Japan, when it comes to foreigners, refugees, and all that. Yeah, everybody said that is a bribe. It's not a real humanity. Everybody said that. No, it's not. It's not everybody. Everybody know that. Everybody is what everybody is saying here. It's a bribe. It's, it's a bribe. They, they don't have intention. They don't want to help. It's just a bribe that nobody will have come to investigate. Here, I found an article that said that Japan's the third largest economy. Right, we know that. In 2013, Japan accepted only, or yeah, accepted only six applicants for refugees. Six in 2013. In 2018, only 20 out of 19,000 applicants. Same similar situation in 2016. Um, there is no official uh, immigration policy in Japan, which. They can't really say that this is a reason we we can't let you in because of the immigration policy because there is none. I'm just reading basically here directly from from the source. So them not allowing refugees is not because of an immigration policy. Yeah, that makes sense. If I know that、uh, I'm doing all this in my country, I will also bribe people from knowing about it because it's embarrassing. Hence, it's not a far-fetched idea or a conspiracy, as they say. If there is smoke, there is fire. So I think、uh, there's a lot of people locally in Japan who say that it's a bribe to UN, and it's because it is. And Japan is definitely doing this to keep the foreigners out of their country. Now, Louis, how come you did not try to leave Japan? I'm sure everyone listening will just say that、uh, why don't Louis just leave to another country if Japan has such a big problem when it comes to the immigration policies and how they treat foreigners? Uh, because I refuse to go back. I refuse to go back, and not like that, that. I refuse. I cannot go back. No, there is maybe people that who can go, but they refuse. But I can't go back. I can't go back. So they make all kind of pressure to me every time. The the, the, the officer will come to me say you have to go back. You have to go back. You have to. Otherwise, they will deport you. Or I saw even some people that were beef have been forced deport back home. So and. Even that, I think that 2004, there was two Turk, Turk guy, father and son, that was be deported. They was recognized by、uh, UN as a refugee. Because that time UN was giving refugee, they would do interview to you in Japan, and they will give you if they accept you, they will give you a refugee certificate. Okay, you you are a refugee in Japan, but you know, Japanese government will not accept that. Even if UN accept you, the UN office in Japan accept you as a refugee. But the Japan government will not accept you as a refugee, and those people are be deported, sent back to Turkey. And when they arrive in Turkey, they put them in the jail. I saw in the news, you know, a certain fear, you know, that is. Louis, you mentioned that the first time you got detained by the Japan Immigration Office, they did a lot of things to you. Can you explain what are the things? As I know that we cut you off just now from explaining them. You know,、uh, the problem is that if you even if you seek, you seek, they don't. Everything is designed just to make you、uh, feel bad to go back home. Even if you sick, you cannot go、uh, to the hospital. Like you can make application that you want to see a doctor, 
uh, you have to wait a month without seeing a doctor. You have all the pain, all your body sometimes, even the, the pain will go. And that time after they will come to call you to see the doctor or, you know, you have to take medications from your roommate who have some medicine, you know, because they don't want to, to, to take you to the hospital. And even if they, you go and meet the doctor, the doctor don't touch your body. You know, the, actually, the doctor have to check your, your your body. Yeah, doctor, you don't touch. You just sit there. Like we we call him. We call him uh, uh, the most uh, the Guinness record. <laughs> speed, the doc, doctor, speed. You speak. Uh, what you? What is your pain? You have a headache. Okay, I give you painkiller. Finish next. Person. Meaning that they never check you or like see what's wrong with you. They just give you the medicine and let you go. Yes, yes, yes. Let you go. Like. 10 seconds, 20 seconds, then the next person. You know, then you have been waiting a month, then the doctor will just meet you for, for, for 10 seconds, next person, you know. So, at that time, I think I saw a Brazilian guy committing suicide, Chinese guy committing suicide. You know, that is my life it was the first time, like, I meet people that, you know, I have seen people killing by bullet, all kind of, they torture them in front of me. I saw, I saw a lot, a lot of men but somebody taking his life away uh, because of uh, long detention, it, it was a, a terrible thing for me. Yeah, that's definitely horrible experience to go through. But how did you finally end up coming out of the center? Uh, the, uh, the Catholic Church, the Catholic churches uh, come and uh, 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 guarantee me. Uh, they make all the application. They made like three times and paid the deposit, and I, I was able to, to, to get out. So I really thank them for that. When you finally come out of the detention center, right? Did you try to rebuild your life and uh, you know get back to normalcy? Mm, when I come out, you know, like I already know the reality. You know, when you are under provisional release, when you are under provisional release, the officer can take you back. They can put you back in detention without any reason. A provisional release means that, okay, uh, the government, Japan, have already decided that you have to leave the country. They have made their uh, investigation about your case. They have finished your case, so they have made a decision to go back home. But you refuse to go back, then you, you, they put you in detention. So, and there's no limitation how long the Japanese government will put you if you already have the, the uh, deportation order. And you, the deportation order, there is no limitation of detention. They can, there are some people that be in detention there for seven years. There are some people of five or four. So no limitation. So then if they feel that maybe you're sick, you're sick, your health condition is not good, or maybe you have a family, you have some reason to, to get out, then they're going to let you out. Yeah, you have to go... Um, Back to the immigration, uh, every, every, uh, like some people, it depends on people. Some people they'll give one month, some people they'll give, uh, two months, some people they'll give three months. Uh, uh, every three months you have to go there and report that, okay, I want, uh, uh, and if you want to leave, if you are in Tokyo, you have to go to maybe, uh, Saitama, you want to go to Osaka. You must you have to go there and ask permission. You don't have the right to leave out of 
you go out of Tokyo without permission. If you go out of Tokyo, they arrest you, they'll put you back inside. That they're going to punish you for four years, five years, you'll be inside there. So you need to ask permission. Even if you want to move house, you want to change address, you need to ask permission to the immigration. If you change house with that permission and you, you go there, you say, oh, I have changed house. They will say, oh, you have changed already? So why did you change without tell us, telling us? So they will take you, put you inside, and there is no limitation for how long they're going to put you in detention. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, you also said that the church paid something to get you out. What is that something? Can you explain that a bit? Yes. Uh, uh, they were asked to uh, deposit money. Like, you know, yeah, you know, it's very, they'll keep you for two years, three years, seven years. You have used all your money for telephone card, calling people, everything. So now they ask you to pay, uh, it's, from, it's from one yen to three million yen. So like uh, $30,000 deposit. $30,000. So some, yes, 3 million yen. So some people will pay, uh, for some people they'll ask 2 million, for some people they'll ask uh, 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 $2,000, so for some people they'll ask, uh, uh, one, uh, let's say uh, 10,000 yen. So it depends it depend on them. There is no rule, there is nothing, nothing regulation. It depends it depend on Here, here's this interesting bit here. According to a Japanese government official, that the number of refugees that want to stay in Japan is very small, according to him. They say that the only reason why they stay in Japan is because uh, they missed a flight to go to France, Canada, or the U.S. or other countries, but they don't really have intention of staying in Japan. Um, this is why they don't want to have them. They even said that they started a quote-unquote project to try to get resettlements and people coming to Japan, but there was no interest of people resettling in Japan. This is according to the Japanese government. Um, so he said they have find it very difficult to gauge interest of people who want to stay in Japan. Yeah, I'm surprised that uh, somebody from Japan had the courage to talk about Japan in this way to a news media. And is this like a blog or is it like a proper news uh, paper or channel or anything like that yeah this is a very reputable this is from businessinsider.com so I'm, they're pretty reputable <laughs> that's awesome so louis uh let's get back to your story you mentioned that that when you came out you tried to you know reintegrate to society and try to like you know rebuild your life again what did you do to do that yes yes uh, of course uh i tried to find a work again i started work like two uh company where they buy used car and sell it so i start to work there but the worry is like every time when i'm going to extend my my, my provision release you no know, i must see two three four seven people be arresting and put back in detention arrested because they committed some crime or what is this no 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 nothing wrong nothing wrong they just when you go they will tell you okay you are resolved yeah 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 refugee result was denied uh, you go back in, in inside again so uh, that means you you was outside maybe for one two years you rent house you you, you pay you buy a fridge a television bed everything is always gone always gone that is a horrible way to live your life you can't invest in anything you can't think long term at the same time you always care that you might get arrested detained for years very years. Scared. very very scared. some people even they don't go there they just run away because you know if 
they put you back inside immigration. You don't know they're going to put you four, five, six, seven years. You don't know when you go, you'll go out and maybe you're going to commit suicide. Maybe they're going to deport you and you'll be killing your country. So many people decide, oh, I don't go there. It's better I run away. So... Right, I understand. But naturally, my next question here is that how did you end up meeting your Japanese ex-wife? Ah, uh, we met in we met in the cafe and we changed phone number and we started to call each other and uh, we fell in love. And no, did you tell her about your issues with the immigration and the situation with you being a refugee in Japan? No. I, I didn't stay for 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 beginning. I didn't say anything like that. It's after one month, one month that I see that thing become serious between us. And I, I, tell, I tell her the truth. No, I have to tell her that. See, uh, I come from Central Africa. My family was involved in with uh, this. Then I'm here as a refugee. Okay, she is. It was a shock and she's really trying. No? Like I was afraid because you know Japanese people are not used to, to this kind of. I was think like think like okay she's gonna say okay we finish the relationship but I was yeah yeah I was gonna run away but I was very surprised that okay, she she was crying for me and said that okay uh, she's there she's gonna be there for me and support me yep I specifically asked these questions so that all our listeners know that you did not try to deceive her or lie about it so that she will get married to you. She had the full option and also the knowledge of what has happened to not get married to you since day one. Yet she decided to get married to you, knowing all this. Yes, and yes, and she's she's even okay she, because what my my that time my English was not so good like now the Japanese also was not so good, so the communication was not very good between us. I brought her to my. She said, "Okay, she wants to see my lawyer." So we went to the lawyer office, and uh, the lawyer explained everything to her. The lawyer has explained everything to her, and when I was uh, going to, to extend my my provisional uh, release, we went to immigration, and immigration uh, asked us some questions, uh, a few things. So immigration also explained to her. How about your wife's parents? How did they take this when you told them about it? Okay. To be honest, my my wife told me, okay, don't explain this to my my family. If yeah, if you explain to my family, uh, uh, it's not gonna be good. Yes, so uh, we went there and she introduced me to the family, and uh, uh, the mother was uh, very open, very nice, uh, but she told me that the father is a little bit a complicated person. Uh, uh, the father is a little bit like he's, uh, he don't accept the marriage, but the mother, the mother uh, have any problem for that. The mother accepted the, the marriage. So uh, when I went to see the father, or the father told, he just asked me one question: uh, Can you take care of my daughter? Because my daughter is, is very stubborn. No, she's stubborn. Say, oh, no problem. I will take care of her. It's only the question you asked me. She's a very stubborn person. Can you take care of her? I said, Can you accept her as a wife? I said, Yes, no I know how I accept her. That was the only question the father asked me and sent me back to the mother. So I spoke to the mother, and the mother was a Catholic. 
Catholic religion, uh, and she went to many places. She went to Africa, so she didn't have any. Uh, I'm really happy that you did not lie to your wife or her parents, and that indicates that you were transparent from day one, and you have you had good intentions with you. Now, with that said, uh, can you explain a bit about your marriage and and your kid and all that? And yes, how did that go? Yes, of course. Go? I was like happy when my wife become pregnant. I even for that. You have to travel around. I go to immigration, ask permission. I want to go to trip. Why did you have to go to the immigration, ask them permission to have a baby? No, I don't have to ask them permission to get married, but to travel, travel uh, to go out out of out, out of Tokyo. I have to ask them permission because my wife like to travel around. So my first child, you know, my first child when she born my first child, I was not around her, like. Uh, when she was uh, seven months uh, pregnant, uh, because I was working, I was working, uh, so I, she cannot stay alone at home. So she she went back to her family house, stay with her, her parents, but because she was uh, seven months, it was like maybe if I'm not around, she gonna get baby. The family needs somebody need to support her. So when I went, uh, I, we will have submit a document to immigration and. Directly, uh, I come, so I, I explained to my lawyer that, okay, my wife is already pregnant, uh, uh, we're going to have a baby. So the lawyer said, okay, then go and submit all your documents to immigration. But I say, okay, we have lost the court, we have to do uh, a refugee appeal, we have to lose, so what next? The lawyer said, don't worry, you have family here in Japan, that is, is, is the I don't think they're gonna do anything to you. Just go and submit document to them, and then I went and submit my document to them, and they they take the document and starting ask question to my wife. Say, you guys gonna marry? You you have to go back home because it's it's, it's already uh, we have already made our decision, so you have to go back home. So. Wow. The next time when I went to extension, uh, they take me and put me back inside. I come out, you know, I stayed there one year, 10 months. The question, how, how, how long have you been in, in detained in Japan since you've been there for 19 years? It like, sounds like half the time you've been in prison. Inside, inside immigration, I'll be seven years inside immigration. That is insane. The Japanese government have taken seven years of a man's life when he hasn't done anything wrong except asking for refugee status and a place to stay that is ridiculous but uh, since you have been detained i'm sure you missed the birth of your child and all those precious moments when you finally saw your baby after getting released from detention how was it no I didn't, she didn't recognize me she was just looking at me like uh, she didn't recognize me and even like uh, during my, my my detention like i said my mother-in-law come to support me and the immigration said that my marriage was a fake marriage i don't love theodora i'm going to abuse her just to stay in japan i'm not a refugee they're going to deport me oh and the mother-in-law give up she didn't come to visit me anymore and after my wife delivered the baby uh, she come to me and okay she was very very uh, angry with me very angry that she she was with other 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 woman in the hospital that was 
be supporting by their husband. Like me, I was not around to support her. Yeah, but it's not like you had an option, right? You you couldn't be there. You were detained, right? Yes, yes. But she was very angry. But when she said she need me outside, I have to support uh, her and support the, the, the my baby because she, she cannot walk. Cannot work because she have a child. So I need to to come out and support her, and she she's going to help me uh, to to get out of immigration. But after she left, like two three hours later, I tried to call her to check if she have arrived well and to, to thank her for her visitation. Uh, she just she starting just uh, getting angry, insulting me, shouting like. The immigration, she said, game is over. Between her, her and me, it's finished. Immigration has told her everything, everything I was hiding. Like, uh, I don't love her. My marriage is a fake marriage. I, don't, I just want to use her to stay in Japan. After I will have a visa, I'm going to divorce her, to marriage another woman. So, I tried to know this, I love you. But that I was not surprised because even when we are we, are, we prepared uh, we prepared that okay our uh, she, she said that she she will visit me like one week before then I was so happy I told my roommate uh, two people in my block oh my wife will come to visit me it's, you know people say don't do that don't allow her to come here if you allow her these people will not destroy your marriage you know they, yeah there are many foreigners there that they stay two three years they have their wife their fiance they don't allow them to visit them because they don't want them to to, to to come and immigration will brainwash them and they will turn against them. So and from there, my wife uh, did, she didn't come back to visit me anymore. Sometimes I will call for one week. She don't pick the phone. Like two three months later, she sent me a, a, a divorce document that I have to sign. Divorce document. Louis, let me get this straight. Throughout this whole time, you haven't seen your baby. No, no, no. I didn't see my baby. And your wife is already sending the divorce papers to you. Yes. While the Japanese government is still keeping you under detention for no apparent reason. Yes, yes. That is such a horrible place to be in, man. Uh, if I'm there, I think I'll be struggling with suicidal thoughts for sure. That's that's a dead end situation. It's a loose, loose, loose kind of situation. You incarcerated. You go back to to your native homeland to to Africa. You 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 you're already incarcerated in Japan. And they already took your child away. Is like everywhere you turn is like that is also the reason. The reason why the Brazilian guy, the Brazilian guy, commits suicide because they they they. Yeah, no, I get that. It's like it's just everywhere you turn is just disaster. Yeah, I agree completely. Now, Luis, uh, what happened next? Then, few uh, days later, the immigration officers come to me. They say interview. Uh, they want to know if I'm in contact with my wife, why my in-law are not visiting me anymore. Have been many months, nobody visiting me from my family. My wife didn't visit me. Why? So I say, hey, listen, don't play that game with me. You are the people that tell my wife that my marriage is a fake marriage, that I don't love her, that you break my marriage. It's you, guys. No? Uh, they just say, oh, you have to leave. You have no reason to live in the country now any, anymore. Nobody, you have no family here, no reason for you to be in Japan. So I refused to to, to to leave the country. And after like four months, four months, uh, they come around the, like two o'clock. We was uh, chatting around. 
they, they make announce in the time two o'clock they call me that they haven't we have an interview then I follow them uh, make me sit in the room they say okay from now we you are not a refugee we, uh, we are going to the court you lose the court so from today from now we are going to take you back to to Cameroon so the the inspector called in the annual he say he finished the interview and many officers entered the room with a blanket you no know? like if i um, i try to resist they will wrap me in the blanket and fought me yeah so uh, i did not resist i followed the order they took me in the big uh, bus like 20 of them big bus uh, they, they tied me they put me handcuffs and a rope so they took me to the airport then in the entrance of the plane uh, I shout I, I shout I say I have my family I have my child when I shout you know the plane was full of passengers I want to shout like that they don't want the people to hear about that the passenger to hear about that they try to, to close my mouth with towel you know put towel in my mouth but I was shouting and the pilot to rush I told them I don't take this passenger and they took me back to the bus. And from there, they really tortured me there. You know, I went pee, I peed myself. You know, like I have all of them on top of me. They have like four people with this hand. My leg was like this. My head. Until from Narita, until Shinagawa immigration. And there, they put me in an isolation room. Isolation room, like, or more than one year in the isolation room. What is a resolution room, Louis? Isolation, like you know, you have to be alone, separate from other people. Right. I think here we call it a solitary confinement. I think that's what you're mentioning here, right? Solitary, yeah, solitary room. Yeah. All right then. Let me know what happened next. No. First, when they brought me back to the airport, uh, the officer was uh, inspector was like. Did you say, say to somebody what happened? Did you say to somebody we tried to get to you? Uh, I just play, explained to the Catholic Church and uh, some uh, other NGO that was there. But you know, the, the NGO, the, the that time they don't protest. You know, they just for them it's normal for for, for, for that to happen. So they didn't protest. Uh, my lawyer did not protest. Nobody do anything. I was there, you know, like one week later, no, one week, almost one week later, because my eyes was very red, my mouth, all the lips from what they have done to me in the airport land. Oh, one week later, they tried to deport also a Ghanaian guy that was was married to a Japanese woman almost like almost 15 years. They killed the Ghanaian guy in the airport just within one week. They kill him, like, they, you know, the same thing they have done to me, they have done to the guy, and they, they kill him there. You know? And that was, I was also, like, I was like, oh, I have, God have saved me, you know. God have saved me because I come back alive, but the guy, you know, died. But I don't know if it was, it was good for me to, 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 to live, because I live to see them kill my child, you know what I mean? understand me so i don't know if it was a good thing for me to live even to, to, to be alive and uh, i don't know so 
So I stay uh, one year uh, in Shinagawa immigration, uh, one in uh, that that room alone. Then they send me to Ibaraki immigration, where I spent uh, four months, and the Catholic Church uh, also uh, guarantee me. And uh, they pay, they ask 300,000 yen that the church pay, and I was able to, to go out. Once you were released, did you call your wife? Did you reach out to her? Yes. Uh, I, I called my wife, and she came. And she came, she was very aggressive, very aggressive, and angry, you know, insulting me. This and he said, "Okay, uh, we have to go to the embassy." First, she bring contract. She said, "Immigration said they will arrest me again. That I cannot leave the country. That she have to divorce me, you know. And she need really to divorce. If they arrest me again, she she will uh, uh, she will divorce me. So she need she have a contract. She bring a contract. She asked me to sign that contract. That if I don't sign." She would take lawyer and go, I, I will not see her, I will not see my daughter anymore. You no, know? I say, no, I don't want to sign, but she was like, I must sign the contract. I must sign it if I don't. And she didn't want to listen to anything. If I don't sign, I cannot live with her, I cannot do nothing because she afraid to live with me because immigration said that even if you live with me, they're going to arrest me, they're going to deport me. So if now she don't have a work and because she take care of the baby, she have no money, and the government is not supporting her. And you no, know, uh, the government asked her that if she needs support, she have to divorce me before they can give her support. But uh, that is not normal. It's not legal for the government to do those. They just want to break. Yeah, because this they happen to many people. So she put too much pressure on me. Uh, Say if I don't sign, she will take she as a family, they will take a lawyer to divorce me. I must sign it. So I read the contract. The contract was like if um immigration arrests me again, I have to uh, she can divorce me because uh, she will take the money from the government to support herself, the baby. If the police arrest me and I go to prison, if police arrest me and I go to prison, she can divorce me. Uh I must give her all my my salary. Yeah, I have to also give every month. I have to put the money, give her money to for the baby child support. Then I have to do uh, cut all contact with all my friends. So if I break any of those contracts, she 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 will divorce me. Yeah, I said, this contract I got, I cannot sign it. If you want to go, go. You say, okay, if uh, I will go, I will, I will to divorce you. So I will take a lawyer. I'm going to divorce you. So but if you want me to support you, I will go to, going to support you. This contract is not for me to go and put. Like you, you, I'm going to divorce you. Though she bring also divorce document. I must sign the contract and divorce document at any time that they arrest me, put me back inside immigration. She can divorce me. That is what immigration have to uh, tell her to do. Immigration, immigration person that she have. So, so I say okay, okay, I understand because we spend like five hours. I try to speak everything she don't want to listen. So, 
She then I say okay. I, I see that if I don't sign, I cannot see her. She will go. I cannot see her. I cannot see my daughter because then I say okay. I will sign. I sign the contract and I sign the divorce paper. I say okay. If if she want to go, she can go. But when I sign, she say okay. Let's go to the embassy. I want to know about you. I want to know about you. So I don't know want to go to embassy, but I have no choice. Since I have signed all documents, she said, let's go to the embassy. I want to know about you. It's okay. We went to the Cameroonian embassy. Yeah. And the consul, the consul was called the ambassador. The ambassador, the ambassador and the consul received us. So the, 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 my wife asked the, I asked them that, oh, you do know this guy? Uh, but do you know his family? They say, yes, you know his family. You know his family. It's true that his family was having this this problem, but actually his father and his mother have divorced. Or the mother changed name. She she's married to another woman, and even she's working. She's working in the consular in, in France. Uh, you know the people there. Some people there work uh, work with my parents in the same ministry. Ah, I see how they know the information. Yeah, she work with my parents in the same ministry. So the people told her, okay. Uh, uh, we know, we know, we know, we know about his parents. We know, we know about him. It's true. Yes, and the, the ambassador was just new in Japan. Like he came in two thousand eight, the ambassador was just new, so he didn't know the system very well. So the consul is there more than ten years. So the consul, he he, he know the situation. So he tell he told to the, the the ambassador that you know in this country. Like this, this case now they declare to they, they brainwash her already, brainwash her already, and it's it's legal for them to break uh, interracial marriage. Interracial. The, the consul told to the ambassador in front of me, in front of my house, that it's what they are doing in this country. They are breaking the marriage, so they already brainwashed this woman, and, and if we don't intervene, she's going to divorce this this this. So they. Intervene as they, they tell her the truth, and okay, she accepts now. But okay, she's 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 going. We are going to stay together. So we went back and I started working. Work like after two months, uh, we take apartment and we start live together. And but she's what she saying the contract. I have to give her my salary every. So I will give my salary, like uh, I have uh, $3,000 to give me like each million, uh, 10,000 10, 10, yen for one month. You know? Yes, $100. So she has $3,000, she gives me $100. So. They do, right? It's normal. And I think this is part of the reason why this whole abduction business happens because when the when the wife controls the money, I mean, what's their incentive to, to be married with one individual, right? I mean, they have the money, they have the children, they have the assets. That they can run away. They, I mean, it's like, you keep supporting me even if you're not here, so get out of here. I'll keep taking your money. Yeah, yeah, that is a completely flawed way to think about family finances and how you divide the money that uh, each of y'all make. Now, with that said, this is the end of the first part of the two-part conversation with Christian Luis. Now, if you want to know more about the documentary, please check the show notes. 
for the link and I hope that you will support the documentary by streaming it or watching it online. I would like to remind everyone that our goal here is to share knowledge with you guys and show that you're not alone in this. With that said, if you need specific legal advice, please get your own independent advice from a qualified legal practitioner. If you're a minor or if you happen to have difficulties in understanding certain parts of this episode, please approach a responsible adult or someone knowledgeable on the topic and ask them for clarifications. We have done our best to make sure that it doesn't offend anyone. And if you have further questions or comments regarding Find My Parent or this interview, you can always email me at sk at findmyparent.org. If you're someone who got separated from your own parent and would like to find your parent again, please go to findmyparent.org and fill out your details. With the help of our smart algorithms and matching technology, we hope to help you find your alienated parent or child again. If you're part of an NGO or even a private company passionate about this topic, please reach out through the contact us page in findmyparent.org and we hope to work together with you. Alright folks, that's it for this week. Speak to you next week. Take care till then.